titled The Core. And uh, we have been going through what we have, our core values, the core values of our church, and, and we have several of them. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been going through them. And, and to kind of give you an idea of the, um, the direction that we have been um, viewing the core, uh, we've been using two definitions. And uh, the two definitions, one comes from the business world, and it, it's simply that the core values are principles that guide an organization's internal conduct as well as its relationship with the external world. The guiding principles to direct us and keep us from drifting in the currents of culture and the world we live in. And, and just as the writer of Hebrews uh, exhorts us, he, he exhorts us to pay close attention to the truth lest we drift away and so that we would hold on to these guiding principles to uh, keep us from drifting in the midst of the currents of culture. And then another definition that we, uh, we use here for the core is from the fitness world. And it's simply the core training is about strength and stabilization creating a solid base for your body that allows you to stand upright so that in standing strong, you might stabilize your spine, which improves and controls your posture and provides optimal motion for daily tasks. It's the strength. It's the stabilization. It's the backbone. And so it is from this strength and the, the backbone in which we operate. It allows us to stand upright. It allows us to move. It allows us to move forward. It allows us to progress. It gives us the ability to um, be in motion. So the core values are the guiding principles and are the strength and the stabilizing backbone, the base of our church from which we can navigate culture, the world, and life. And so over the past few weeks here at Bethel Church, we've been going through our core values, and I just kind of want to, if you are just joining us today, maybe this is your first time, we're going to give you the quick Cliff Notes version uh, in just a couple sentences here, just of the core values that we have already gone through. The first one was biblical authority. Biblical authority, we regard the Bible as the foundation of our faith, believing it is God's inspired word. Holy Spirit empowerment, believing that what God requires of each one of us is impossible in human strength. We rely exclusively on the power that is provided by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Apart from him, nothing is possible, but with him, all things are possible. Relational evangelism, following the example of Jesus, we will develop real relationships, meet people where they are, and walk with them on the path that leads to salvation through Christ. And we just saw that as Dave and Lisa were just sharing the heart of all God's children, meeting these people where they are, where they are at, that leads to salvation through Christ. Accountability, last week pastor shared on accountability, submitting ourselves to God and to one another through ministry involvement, which is necessary for growth and development. And then this morning, today, we're going to take a moment, and we're just going to look at our next core value, which is excellence in ministry. We believe that excellence is a careful balance between honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. We reject the idea of arrival and embrace the journey toward perfection in all we do for God, one another, our community, and our world. We are committed to continual evaluation of all we do that God may be praised in it. 
And so today as we look at that, I'm going to invite you to turn to your Bible and flip to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And just as you're turning there, I'm going to read that definition one more time to give you a moment to get there. We believe that excellence is a careful balance between honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. We reject the idea of arrival and embrace the journey toward perfection in all we do for God, one another, our community, and our world. We are committed to continual evaluation of all we do that God may be praising it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12. And we're going to be continue, we'll start in verse 12. This is Paul. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, Lord, you are here even now. God, we thank you for the work you have done, the work you are doing, and the work you are going to do. And God, just as we are gathering together here together, that, Lord, you would receive all honor, all glory, and all praise, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. God, just let us receive your word today. God, I ask that, Lord, you would use me, because, Lord, without you, I am nothing, and Lord, we do this for your glory and honor, in Jesus' mighty and awesome name. And everyone said, amen and amen. When I was in school, uh, I had a professor that uh, was notoriously difficult. Notoriously difficult, and it wasn't that he was just difficult for the sake of being difficult, but like, he prided himself in being difficult. And he would always start off by talking about how no one would ever ace an exam that he would provide. And he would always challenge these students in the class that, um, that I challenge you to get a perfect score on one of my tests, knowing full well that no one was going to do so. And, and it had been years and years that he had taught, and so no one had ever had aced a, a, a test that he had taken or that he'd given. And so for me, being the person I am, I'm like, I'm going to do it. You know, challenge accepted, all right? And so I remember it was coming down to a test, and I was committed, I was devoted, I was ready to ace this test. And so I just shut myself in a room, I didn't talk to anybody, I did the impossible, I turned off my cell phone, I shut the computer off, I actually read a textbook, you know, just the things that you would never imagine a college student doing nowadays, and I did all these things, and I highlighted, and then I underlined, and I took notes, and I mean, you would have thought that I was really, like, really a college student at this time. I had, like, I had all these little post-it note tabs in my textbook, and everyone was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I am going to ace this test, and I committed and devoted myself to doing so. Oh, and I was ready. I walked into that classroom. I was ready. I was just, like, I was excited for a test. I don't know. Most people are never excited. Usually, when it comes to taking a test, people go, what's your prayer request? I have a test and I didn't study. God would give me supernatural knowledge in this moment. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah? But not in this moment. This moment, I was ready. I said, God has given me just a sound mind and I am just ready to go. That, that I have spent countless hours in preparation and study. All good things. I mean, this is what you would want to see from a college student. I would have made my parents proud. 
Yeah, they, they would have been so excited. If they, had, if they thought that this was how I studied all through college, they would have been like, he is just the greatest student ever. Um, I didn't study like that all the time. But this one time I did. So we came and sat down, and I looked around the room, and everyone else is nervous. Everyone else is, is going through their textbook trying to, like, you know, read and, like, you know, read, like, 55,000 pages in 10 seconds and retain the information. But not me. I was good. And so the professor walks in. He goes, are you ready for your test? And we're all like, no. I'm like, yes, I'm ready. You know, let's go. So he hands out, he begins to hand out the exams. And, and so I go and I, I, I have my pencil in hand and I go and I open the first page and I start to read and I'm like, And, and, and I'm looking around, and people are starting to write, and, you know, they're just, they're, they're nodding, and then there's some people just looking, you know, just kind of like, okay, and, you know, some people are guessing, and I'm like, I didn't recognize any of this information. What, 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 what was it, what was this stuff that, I don't know what this, this isn't what I studied. <laughs> what happened was, was, I had been so consumed about acing this test and, and, and excelling at it. I spent all my time studying that I studied the wrong material. I studied the wrong content. And uh, it, was, it was miserable. It was brutal. And uh, the next test, though, the next test, I didn't ace it, but I did, I did okay. It made up for the, the test that I did not do so well on. You know, as we talk about ex- excellence in ministry, um, you know, the question I have is, what are we excelling at? What are the things that we are, are, are doing well? What, what are the things that we are taking pride in when it comes to our accomplishments? Because I'm reminded of, of what Dwight L. Moody, he is a famous evangelist during the 19th century, what he had to say, and, and he just says this. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but at succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And this morning as we start, and we're going to break down that definition that we have of excellence in ministry, but I want to start off by making sure that you and I are on the same page to what we should be excelling at. Because it's important to realize that we can excel at a lot of things, but does it really matter? And I look back at my life and I can say that it wasn't a bad thing that I studied. It wasn't a bad thing that I spent a lot of time reading and researching and highlighting and underlining. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when it came to it, I excelled at the wrong thing and I failed the test. And you and I, we can spend our whole lives striving to excel at something, thinking that it's what we should be doing, but we could be excelling at the wrong thing. And so when we talk about excellence in ministry, we're not talking about excellence in chair stacking. We're not talking about excellence in shaking hands. We're talking about excellence in ministry. Yes, some of those things will come into play, but what is ministry? What are we actually talking about? Because we can get so consumed with just doing things that we lose sight in why we do them, the reason why we do it, the heart of why we do it, and ultimately the purpose of why we do it. So what are we talking about today? Philippians 3, if we look back earlier, we started in verse 12, but I want to look real quick in in verse 8. Paul is writing, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So see, that's what we're talking about today. Excellence in ministry. First of all, we need to realize that it's about knowing Jesus. Knowing him. It's about having that relationship with Jesus. I'm reminded of what Jesus says in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We love to talk about how the truth will set me free. The truth will set me free. The truth will only set you free so long as you know the truth though. And you know the truth not by just reading it and glancing at it. You know the truth not just by having it on your bookshelf. You know the truth when you abide in it. It's when you abide in it. It's when you develop that relationship. It's when you develop that heart that says that I need this day in and day out. That's when you know the truth and that's when the truth will set you free. And in the same way, what Paul is saying here, it's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing what he has done in my life. It's about recognizing that without him I was nothing, but with him I can do all things. Can I tell you there is a difference between an intimacy with God and having a proximity with God? There is a difference between having an intimacy with God and having a proximity with God. Can't help but look at the life of Judas. You have an individual who walked with Jesus day in and day out for three and a half years. He walked with him. He was part of the twelve. Wherever Jesus was, Judas was there. With the likes of Peter and James and John. And yet, you have someone who was close to Jesus but did not know Jesus. You know, I think a lot of times we get so caught up in trying to live our lives in the way we think a Christian should live that we fail to know Jesus. We fail to truly know who He is. And you know, I just think that what's scary is that Judas had everyone fooled except for Jesus, but he had the other 11 fooled. They were shocked. They couldn't believe that Judas was doing this. Can I tell you that we have to beware of the danger of being close to Jesus but not knowing Jesus? And so this is what we're talking about, though, today, is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the saving power, the message of hope and truth and deliverance and life. And I love what Paul says, though, is that that I'm receiving and now I'm sharing, taking hold of it, and now I'm giving it as well. You know, Christ gave so that you and I could receive. And because we have received, now you and I are called to give. And it's critical that that as we go forward in looking at this excellence in ministry, that we remember that it's the gospel message, the good news, the work that Christ has done within us, that now we must share with those around us. It is that power and that work of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name that we lifted up, the name that we continue to lift up, the name that we continue to proclaim, in which we view excellence in ministry. Because any other way to view it, 
means that we will succeed at something that's not worthwhile. And we can't get caught up in just the signs and the wonders, the numbers, the outer works, results. Because my Bible tells me that there are going to be many who will perform many miracles, do many signs and wonders, and then on that day they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many signs? Didn't we cast out demons? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Let us be people that are not just in proximity with Jesus, but we know Jesus, we abide in Jesus, and that there is an intimacy with Jesus. So again, as we look at our definition of excellence in ministry, let us look at it with this context of what, ex- what we are striving to excel at. And so we're going to just dig a little deeper. Philippians 3... 13 says this, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead. Our definition tells us this, it's a careful balance between honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. That first part I just want to kind of break down a bit. Careful balance between honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. You know, Paul's right here, I forget the things that are behind me and I strain forward to what lies ahead. You know, we can't be looking always at the things that once were and neglect the things that are to come because these things are past. These things are gone. These things are over. And so long as we stay back here, we can't go forward to where Christ is calling us. We can't step forward into the promises of God. We can't step forward into what is and what is to come so long as we are standing into what was. Forgetting the things that lie behind. But can I tell you that even though we can forget the things that lie behind, that doesn't mean that we can't honor the past. I think of Joshua and Moses, and what a beautiful story. And as many of you know, Joshua was the aide to Moses. And so Moses had just passed away, and Joshua 1, we're introducing, and God is telling Joshua to get ready. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And of course, you're just like, no, duh, I know. The whole nation is mourning God. You know, and I, why did God have to tell Joshua that Moses is already dead? Why did God have to tell Joshua something that he already knew? Because I think that what God was trying to tell Joshua is that, listen, so long as you hold on to the influence and the leadership and the person of Moses, you can never step forward and cross into the promised land. You cannot cross over this Jordan. You cannot cross into the, over these waters if you are holding on to Moses, if you are holding on to the leadership of Moses, if you are holding on to the, the influence of Moses, if you are holding on to the person that is Moses. But that doesn't mean that Joshua then say, hey guys, we're never going to talk about Moses again. That guy, who was he? We don't know. Joshua had to recognize and find that place between honoring the legacy honoring the person who he served, but also realizing that now I have to step forward. I have to step forward into what is ahead because so long as I stay in my old way, so long as I hold on to the past, I can't step forward into what is and what is to come. You know, there was a beautiful thing that happened recently. We were able to celebrate our 75th anniversary. How many of you were here for that? Amen. It was just a beautiful time. 
And we were able to just come together as a church and, and we were able to bring some of the leaders and the, and the men and women who have served and led this church, this fellowship, this body over the years. And it was a beautiful time. We didn't bring them to say, guess what? We're not doing it the way you used to do it. So, you know, we came here because we wanted to honor what they have done. We want to honor the faithfulness of these men and women. And they would be the first to say, they would be the first to say, you know why I can say that? Because they actually did say this. Because one of the men, Brother Bartholomew, we asked him a question and we asked him, Brother Bartholomew, one of the pastors who led our church so faithfully during the years, we asked him, he said, if there was one thing you could tell, it, tell the church today celebrating their 75th, what would you say? And this, this is what he said. He said that we would keep the mission and the message, the good news, the thing that we established a moment ago, is sacred. And functions by which we carry out the mission, and functions are the things that we do to carry out the mission and communicate the message. The function will change over time when it's no longer applicable or meeting the need. But we must never change the mission and the message. The mission and the message must always stay the same. It always stays the same because the mission and the message is the saving and redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The good news, the gospel message. That is the sacred mission and the text. And that is what is at heart and at stake. But the function... That's going to change. And they would be the first to say that the things that we do today are not the way that they did them back then, but they would recognize that we can't do the things we did 75 years ago. You know what, church? We can't do the things we did 10 years ago. I don't know about you, but when I was a student, that wasn't too long ago. I didn't have text messaging. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have Twitter. The world is changing, and if we're going to be a church that just stays in the past and we refuse to move forward, we're not going to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ in this world. But the mission and the message must always stay sacred and must always stay the same. It is upon this message, this mission, this heart, this good news upon which we move forward in. I'm reminded of Mark chapter 2, 21 through 22. And Jesus is sharing. He says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before? And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst. The wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. And Jesus is just sharing it. And the wineskins being the vessels upon which is carrying the wine, but... When wine is maturing and fermenting in the wineskin, the wineskin would shrink and become brittle. But it would be able to, to carry the, the, the wine that was in there. But if you were to attempt to put new wine in there, it would burst. It wouldn't be able to stretch because it was meant for that wine then, but it was not meant for that wine today. And in the same way, The wineskins of the past had its purpose, and we honor it, but there are new wineskins that are needed for today. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't curse the wineskins. He doesn't say, those old wineskins are just, yeah, they're useless. He doesn't curse them. He doesn't tell them that they were were pointless. He doesn't say that they were wrong, but he just recognizes that those wineskins served the purpose for that time 
And now there's a need for new wineskins. In the same way, there's a careful balance for you and I, honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. So then Paul continues in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. We reject the idea of arrival and embrace the journey toward perfection. I'm a sports fan. I'm sure that many of you are here are sports fans. And one of the, one of the gloomiest days for me as a sports fan, I'll just tell you, I'm a New York Yankee fan. I was born and raised that way, the right way. And, uh, you know, we were... We are 4-0 when it comes to elimination games. We might be down 0-2 right now in the, in the postseason, but I still have hope. But I remember in 2004, this is not a good thing to talk about, but it was just very, you know, the Yankees were winning against Boston Red Sox, our rival. It was three games to 0. We were in the ninth inning with two outs. We had the lead, and we had the greatest closer to ever play baseball. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Just really, really good circumstances if you're a New York Yankees fan. The game was all but over. We had all but won. And the Boston Red Sox, who had not won a championship since like 1918, so it's been like close to 100 years at that point, maybe a little less, are down to their last out, are down to their last strike. Everyone thought the game was over. And if you're a Yankee fan especially, or a Red Sox fan, you know that the Red Sox would do the improbable, they would do the impossible, and they would come back and win that game. And not only would they come back and win that game, and that was, that was tough, but no team in, in history of baseball had ever come back from a series down three games to none. But the Red Sox didn't let that stop them, and so they would continue to defy odds. And even though everything was against them, they came back and they beat the New York Yankees in 2004 and then they would continue on to win the World Series. And if you're not a baseball fan, I can just remind you of the score 28 to 3. Does that make does that click ring a bell in anyone's ears? 28 to 3, the New England Patriots were down 28 to 3 in the fourth quarter. I was looking it up. The the odds at that point, at that moment in the fourth quarter, the New England Patriots had a 0.5% chance of winning that game. That meant that they had a 99.5%, I don't know who was doing the odds, I don't know, but 99.5% chance of losing that game in the fourth quarter. Everything was against them. Did they give up? Of course not. Why? Because there was a Super Bowl on the line. There was a championship on the line. And what do we know? We know because we see all the headlines. We see all the memes. We see all the jokes. How the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. With a 99.5% chance of winning the game, they lost it. Or rather, having a 0.5% chance of winning when everything was against them. When everything was a lost cause. Did they give up? No. And so Paul says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What is it my own? Well, he's talking about knowing Jesus. He's talking about knowing the power of Jesus and the resurrected power of Jesus and being made complete and whole. And can I tell you, church, that guess what? You and I, we don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. But does that stop us? Does that cause us to quit? Does that cause us to give up? No, because we have a hope that one day 
we will be made whole. One day we will be made complete. One day we will spend eternity with our Savior. And until that day, we don't shy behind. We don't give up. We don't just throw it aside. But we press forward and we strive ahead to take hold of that. We have been called to step forward. And that one day we will finish our race and we will take hold of our prize Near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, Paul is just writing that he's ready to receive his crown. He's ready to take hold because he knows that his moment has now finally come. That he is at the last point of his life. And he says that I am ready to receive my crown. But have he, had he given up when he was writing in Philippians, he would never have been able to say in 2 Timothy that I am ready to receive my crown. Can I tell you, church, that progress is a process that requires perseverance. It requires us to dig deep. It requires us to always push ahead. It requires us to be willing to go through the currents and the waves of life, the ups and down, the flows, the in and around and through, and all that comes with it. But can I tell you that when we get to the end, if we have stayed committed and faithful, even though we are not perfect through those seasons, even though we are not perfect in our life, we strive for perfection Because we follow the one who is perfect. We are called by the one who is perfect. We are saved by the one who is perfect. We have been healed by the one who is perfect. And he is calling us to follow him. That one day we will know him face to face. And in that day we will take hold of that. You know, I'm not perfect. You are not perfect. I would would assume, okay? And if I'm wrong, um, just don't hang out with me. Because I wouldn't do well. And can I tell you that together, you and I, as Pastor said a moment ago, we're not perfect together. We don't supernaturally just become perfect because we come together. We are not a perfect church, as Pastor said, but we are a church that strives for perfection because we follow perfection. And as I said, we follow, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are called by the one who is perfect. And Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Press on. So long as we stay in our current position, so long as we refuse to move forward, so long as we just stay here, we can never go to where God is calling us. It's one thing to recognize what was is no more, but it's another thing as well to step forward and press onward. Because we need, you and I, we need to press onward. We cannot be a stagnant church If you ever go to Israel, you'll know that there's this sea called the Dead Sea. If you ever read your Bible, there's a Dead Sea. Um, And there's also another sea where a lot of Jesus' ministry took place called the Sea of Galilee. And what's amazing is that both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea receive their, their, their water from the same source. They both actually receive the water from the same source. So they get their water from the same source. But they are two completely different bodies of water. The Sea of Galilee is very fruitful. There's an entire economy that is based upon the Sea of Galilee, the fishing and all that comes with that, the fishery and being able to go into the water. It produces. But the Dead Sea is stagnant. And all it is is really good for just taking pictures because you can float in the Dead Sea. Um, But there's no life there. Hence the name the Dead Sea. And even though both water sources get, both get their sources from the same water source, what is different is that the Sea of Galilee takes that water and then sends that to other places. 
It allows that water to move freely while the Dead Sea takes that water and just lets it sit there and become stagnant. You see, if we just take hold of it, if we just stay where we're at, if we become immovable, if we become stagnant, we become something dead. You and I, we cannot afford to be a stagnant church. We cannot afford to be a dead church. We have to be a moving church, moving forward and allowing those things to move in, through, and around us. Press onward, move forward, and be active. And then, as we continue in excellence in ministry, it says, In all we do for God, one another, our community, and our world. As Pastor Kurt just mentioned last week, you and I are not meant to do it alone. We're called to be a church. We are called to be in community with one another. 1 Corinthians tells us that we are co-laborers. We are fellow workers. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes that we are being built together as living stones. So you and I, we are called to be co-laborers. We're called to be fellow workers in the ministry and the work of the Father. You and I are being built up together into a spiritual house around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ that guides, directs, strengthens, and unites us. We're being built into his church that God is using. Can I tell you that the gospel brings unity to all that we do? Every form of ministry is empowered by the gospel, based on the gospel, and is the result of the gospel. The gospel brings unity to all that we do. Every form of ministry is empowered by the gospel, is based on the gospel, and is the result of the gospel. And can I tell you that this doesn't just stay within these four walls, but rather this should go into all spheres of our lives. God didn't transform your life so that way you could come to church and be transformed in church and then go out into the world and do whatever you want. But God has transformed your life so that way then you can take hold of Him and then you can then share the excellencies and proclaim the excellencies of the One who is taking you out of darkness and brought you into His marvelous light. Your life should reflect and show that in all spheres of life. You know, we weren't just lost needing to be found, but we were once dead that needed to be raised to life by God. And now that we have been transformed, raised to life, we must demonstrate that with our words, with our actions, and with our inactions, the things that we refuse to do, the things that we refuse to compromise in all spheres of life, not just in our church, but in our homes and in our families and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities and in the world. Excellence in ministry does not just stay rooted in this building, but excellence in ministry must take hold in each and every facet of our lives because it's not about just doing things, but it's all about serving and giving honor and glory to the one who is Jesus. And then he writes... In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And just as I close tonight, we are, this morning, we are committed to continual evaluation of all we do that God may be praised in it. Can I tell you that this is a process This is something that is in need of constant evaluation. I love what Paul says. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Think in which way? 
Well, the things that he just talked about, the things that we just went over today, recognizing that I haven't obtained it, but I'm pressing onward, that I haven't received perfection, but I constantly go after it, recognizing that it's all about knowing God and recognizing that it's about the power and taking hold of that resurrected power and that one day I will take hold of that completely, but until that day I will continue to strive forward in that that I constantly forget the things that are behind me, but I strain forward to the things that are ahead. And that requires constant evaluation. It wasn't that Paul just said these things and then one and done and it was good to go and it was over and then he could just go to the next thing. See, I think a lot of times we build our faith around a checklist of things that we need to accomplish. I read my Bible today. Okay, I did this and I did that. And, and we make it just about completing things, but we lose sight of the journey that is life. It's not just about completing X amount of things. It's not about doing ABCs and one, two, threes, but it's about embarking on a journey that God has called you and I to embark on. And that as we mature, that word mature, and I love what he says here. He says, and if any, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I like how Paul says that if you're not maturing, it's not because that I'm wrong and you're right, but rather God will reveal that to you in time. But as you and I are maturing, we recognize that this isn't just a one and done deal. This isn't like I check it off in my, in my list of things to do and I never look back at it again, but rather I am constantly in continual evaluation. If we're so set on the things that we do today and we think that this, and that we never evaluated, then guess what? One day we will be that group that is trying to do things that was being done 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 75 years ago if we don't take hold of evaluating ourselves. It's a daily thing we must go through. It requires us to continually evaluate ourselves just as our walk with Christ is a daily process, just as our walk with Christ requires us to each day search our hearts, die to self, pick up our cross and follow him. Just as each day we need a fresh indwelling and presence and filling of the Holy Spirit, each day you and I need to evaluate the things that we are doing, how we are doing it. And ultimately, why do we do it? That God may be praised in it. Proclaim the excellencies of He who has brought you from darkness and into His marvelous light. We do this to proclaim the name of Jesus. We do this to proclaim His name, to make His name known, to lift Him up, to declare His truth and His word, and to share the good news, the gospel message, because Jesus came to seek and to save all that were lost, that none should perish, but all have eternal life. And so until that day, I will strive forward. Until that day, I will continue to be about the work of the Father, the heart of the Father. I will continue to go and proclaim His name. I will continue to go to share his light and church we are a church that will continue to strive for protect perfection knowing that even though we aren't perfect we continue to follow after him we are a church that will continually evaluate ourselves not so that way we can be the trendy church but we can be the church that is always able to communicate and share the good news of jesus christ to those that are lost to those that are spiritually dead and we will continue to not Look back, but we will look ahead at the things to come. We honor what God has done in our past. We recognize what God is doing now. And we look forward with expectation to what God is going to do. That is excellence in ministry. 
We believe that excellence is a careful balance between honoring our past successes while remaining focused on our future. We reject the idea of arrival and embrace the journey toward perfection in all we do for God, one another, our community, and our world. And we are committed to continual evaluation of all we do that God may be praised in it. Just like to pray over us this morning as we end our day. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for what you have done in our lives. God, we thank you for the shed blood that you laid down your life, that you have given us hope when we were hopeless, that God, you have raised us to life when we were dead. That God, we would strive to know you, that we would strive to abide in you, take hold of you. And that God, that knowledge that relationship, that intimacy of you would then carry forward into putting into action what you have called us to do, which is to go into all the world and make you known, that we would go in baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we would go to all places, and that, God, we would strive for excellence, that we wouldn't focus on things that aren't worthwhile, but we would focus on the heart and the work and the ministry of the Father. That, God, as we honor our past, that, God, we would always look ahead to where you are leading us. That we wouldn't be tied down to old wineskins, but we would recognize their purpose and their value, honoring them, but taking hold of the new wineskins that you have for us today. God, we just ask that, Lord, we would just continue to strive for perfection, knowing that even though we are not perfect, knowing that we haven't obtained this already, we press on till we receive the prize that is ahead of us. And that, God, we would constantly work together in unity as co-laborers, as fellow believers, as your church, in all spheres of our lives, and that we would, as we mature, continually evaluate ourselves, that we may have excellence in ministry. Be with us this day, that, God, we would go and proclaim your name, that we would go and make you known, that we would share your good news, the gospel, the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. God is good? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We look forward to seeing you tonight. Join us for our adult discipleship classes. Have a great week.